We're going to be looking at part 17 in our series on the Old Testament. And this time we're going to look at the story of Israel. And my goal is to give you a bird's eye view of this whole Old Testament story and gain a compelling insight into the heart of God. And two things are going to be a little unusual today. I'm going to do the first part mainly by means of an animation, a seven-minute animation, which we'll see in a few seconds. And the second part, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture which I think is very precious and it really captures God's heart, but that's much more than we usually do. So, um, last time or se- several, several times ago, we looked at, um, chesed, which is a word of meaning a special kind of love, which we have no English word for, but it means a love that will never let you go and is one that's going to crop up towards the end of today's sermon. Then we looked at the new creation. We had three sermons on that, the big story of the Bible. And we looked at idolatry and a way that we can fall into of trying to control God and make him come through for us in a particular way and how God wants to be worshipped in a way that we, we, we give our worship to him and we allow him and we trust what he's going to give to us. And then last time we looked at the Exodus theme and the amazing way that there's so many ripples throughout the rest of the Bible from what happened in the Exodus, that it's such a picture of salvation that's lots of different facets to it. And I looked at 14 particular facets, and then in our discussion afterwards we have several more added to that. So today it's the story of Israel, a seven-minute animation, and then the reason for the captivity. And then we're going to end with looking at God's heart for Israel and for us. So, first of all then, let me give you, let's let's see this animation. What I'm going to do with you now is the story of Israel in the Old Testament in seven parts. And down the left here, we have time, starting uh, with Jesus, or ending, I should say, with the birth of Jesus, going right back for 2000 BC. And most of the dates we can put in here pretty accurately because they can be tied in to Egyptian or Assyrian or Babylonian time records. And those empires made very, very careful observations of the stars, which they recorded. And so modern science can actually work backwards with our knowledge of astronomy and know the exact dates they happened. So we're going to start off then. Around about 1850, uh, going through to 1446, with our first period, which is Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, at least for the last part of the time they were there, they were, they were slaves. And um, they were treated very badly, and um, they there we are. They didn't actually build the pyramids, but they built various temples that um, 
we can still see today. So we read about that, uh, first of all, going down to Egypt in Genesis. And then most of it, of course, we read, um, certainly the coming out of Egypt, we read in Exodus. And then we have the, the Exodus, they come out of Egypt, and we have the wilderness time, which was 40 years. So that's going to go from 1446 to 1406. And so let's make that number two. Wilderness. And uh, we don't exactly know what the tents look like, but let's assume they look something like this. There we go. And they lived in tents for 40 years in the wilderness. And, uh, of course, we continue reading about that in Exodus, but also that time going the rest of the first five books of the Bible. So we read Leviticus through to uh, Deuteronomy would describe that period. Then we have, uh, they enter the land and we have a time which I'm going to call the fragmented time. It's a period of Joshua and the judges. One of the refrains in the book of Judges is there was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So no king and this would be Joshua and Judges and also the book of Ruth would be set in that time period and that would go down to 1054. 1054 we have the establishment of the monarchy and of course there are there are three kings that we have while the kingdom is united, the, uh, there's the kingdom of, uh, of Saul, there's the kingdom of David, and there's the kingdom of Solomon. And so those are the three kings. We read about them in, in 1 and 2 Samuel. And then we read about this and, uh, a period following in, uh, Kings and Chronicles. And that goes down into 931. In 931, Solomon died and his rather foolish son ended up by dividing the kingdom. So we have number five, the divided kingdom. And the kingdom uh, was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And uh, it was split across. So the southern kingdom would have been Judah and Benjamin, two tribes, and the northern kingdom would have been Israel. Northern kingdom became uh, idolatrous and corrupted much more quickly. And so for them, the captivity began in 722 and was finally completed for the southern kingdom in 586 with various groups being taken away during that time and so we're going to mark this then 
captivity. So these people, they're taken away from their land to, to Assyria and or Babylon. And they're spread out across different regions because that was the policy of the captors to spread them out so they wouldn't have any power. And then we have in 539, we have the seventh part, which is return. And they're here they're gathered from the nations where they were where they were uh, distributed and they all come in well not all of them but all the ones who really had a heart for God could come back and return to the land and we read about uh, this particularly in Ezra and Nehemiah but uh, also this whole period really uh, up there and going on here we have the books of the prophets uh, echoing uh, God's thoughts on what's happening uh, Kings and Chronicles would go down to that captivity there but not the return so that is the story of Israel in the Old Testament in seven parts. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you had as much fun watching it as I had making it. And uh, we're going to then continue to look at um, the reason for that captivity and then God's heart for Israel and for us. So, first of all, the reason for the captivity. We have to understand, we have to really get that God promised to Abraham that his descendants would be a light to the nations. That the whole plan was that they would show the rest of the world what it looked like to be a nation that worshipped God, that was in relationship with God, that followed God's laws by loving one another, by showing fairness and justice. And the rest of the world would see God by looking at Israel. That was the goal, that they would reflect the love of God to the world. And they would worship only him and not these cruel, demonic, false gods that the other nations worshipped. And so almost never in their history did they do this. But the problem was that they carried the name of Yahweh. So the trouble was that the nations would look at Israel and say, oh, that's what Yahweh's like. He's He treats people like that. And so they were actually achieving the opposite of what was intended. And the, the problem is this, that that God is the only hope for this world, and his love is the only hope. His way of living is the only hope. And so it was so important that they carry this message to the nations. And one of the key things, one of the key reasons that they got taken into captivity was the issue of social justice. And I'm going to read you some verses from Jeremiah, but also from Micah. Thus says the Lord, 
Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. So you see the idea there that they were to demonstrate this kind of of justice and care to their community and the community of other people that came into the midst, other immigrants and so on, in order to demonstrate what God was like. And another one place I haven't got the quote here, he says, be kind to the, 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 the alien, the resident alien, because you were aliens in Egypt at one time. And I, that's my heart to care for these people who no one is caring for. So let's look at uh, some verses in Micah, because these are very powerful and these really capture God's, God's distress or what was happening with them. So first of all, Micah chapter two, describing the way that Israel were behaving. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a person and their house a man and his inheritance. So these are those who have power, oppressing those who don't have power and taking things away from them. And we, we read later about slavery happening, about all kinds of, of really vicious things happening. And then uh, Micah chapter 3, we have more development of this. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? Surely you should be the ones demonstrating this. You who hate the good and love evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. So he's saying the way that you are stealing, the way you're oppressing, the way you're abusing the poor is like you're, you're ripping their skin off. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. This is how you're treating your own people. This is the kind of injustices that are going on in your society. And he uses this vivid language. But he goes on. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. This is this is the ruler's. He will hide his face from them at that time because they've made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. In other words, you know, bribe me with some nice food and you'll get a good prophecy. That is what was going on. And the real, the real horror of what was happening it was the the religious leaders that were getting just as bad as the secular leaders hear this you heads of the house of jacob and rulers of the house of israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight who build zion with blood and jerusalem with iniquity Wow, this is their economy is based on this kind of level of injustice and cruelty. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. So the whole justice system is corrupt. 
Is priests teach for a price? Is prophets practice divination for money? Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They say, God is on our side. How can anything bad happen to us? What does God think of that? Well, from um, we were talking about idolatry, and you saw how God hates to be manipulated. Or well, how is God going to react to being treated like this? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be ploughed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So this is the captivity. He's saying, you're going to be taken away. You're no longer going to be living in this land, carrying my name, because you've completely uh, completely inverted what I stand for. I could give you many more verses. The prophets are full of statements like this. Um, And God wanted them to worship him, but not because God was selfish. Uh, God wanted worship because all the other gods were evil. And he is the only source of love and truth. And God's name is the only hope for this world. He's the only one carrying justice and love and hope for the oppressed. And if they are to treat him like that, and make such a mockery of his name, what hope is there for the world? And so what God is concerned about now is the big picture, like the the, pre- the plan to take out the message of salvation to the whole world, because Israel is completely failing in that. So we've looked at the story of Israel in seven minutes. We've looked at the reason for that captivity, which is their 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 complete flouting of God's law and abuse of one another. And now we're going to look at God's heart for Israel and for us. And I've got uh, some extensive readings in this, but I think it's worth reading. And first of all, we're going to read from Ezekiel 16. And this is a love story. And this is a little unusual, and I've edited some places because it's kind of graphic, um, but it's just um, a beautiful love story. And he's talking about Israel when they're in Egypt right now. He's And he, they're slaves in Egypt. He says, As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. In other words, Israel as a nation was, bo- was born, and they were desolate. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And as you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. And so this is Israel um, coming out of Egypt 
into the wilderness and entering into this covenant with God where he made these promises to them and then he made these promises to him. And so the the story of God rescuing Israel is being painted in this um, very graphic language. <clears throat> and then we carry on. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So this is the material prosperity that God brought to Israel in giving them a homeland, blessing them so richly, blessing their crops, just just really giving them a tremendous blessing and richness. And then this comes to a climax in the times of, of David and Solomon. And then we read, Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I'd bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. And you can think here of Solomon's rule, where what Solomon built, the splendor of what he did, and just the amount of gold he had, and his wisdom went out over the earth, and the Queen of Sheba came up, and she saw all that he'd done, and she she saw the beauty of what he'd created, and she said, "You know, there's more than was told me." And so this is the this is the glory of what God did with this nation. But and you can imagine there's going to be a but now. But you took your sons and your daughters, whom you'd born to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered your ch- my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? I've edited a lot of the stuff out here because it's very explicit sexually about what's going on, about the way that they've, they've behaved. Um, summed up our adulterous wife who received strangers instead of her husband and this is what they'd done this is how they'd repaid the the love that he'd showed to them and uh, but the amazing thing is the way the story continues it says yet i will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth and i will establish for you an everlasting covenant i will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am God. And I've edited it down a lot, but basically he's going to take her back, take her back as a, his wife and restore everything to her. And this is the, the love story uh, that is played out here in Ezekiel. Um, I'm going to read also uh, some places in Hosea and in Micah because they capture the same idea. And I just love the beauty of this language. And I really hope that as I read these verses from Hosea and Micah, you can take in some of God's love to you as we read this. Because when we read this and we see the way that God treated Israel, and he was so committed to them, 
it gives us encouragement that when we fail him, and sometimes we fail him badly, yet his love for us is just so far greater than our sin. So let's look at Hosea 11. And again, there's so much in this chapter, but I'm just giving you some extracts. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. So it's like the image of a, of a child once again. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love. And then we have the story of, of course, their turning away from him. And the words he uses are quite amazing. My people are bent on turning away from me. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim, places that were destroyed? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And God's saying, how can I do this? Because I am attached to you. I have a love to you, which is so much greater than all of the, the, the evil that you've done. And he says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. This is just amazing. Just verse 8 where he says, um, how can I give you up? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And to see that this is a God who's treated so badly by his people, yet he's joined himself to them. And this is chesed. We're going to see it coming up in some of the language, and it does a lot in these prophets. Um, we're going to see that in a minute. But this is chesed. Chesed isn't just a love that loves to the to the very end, but it's a love that actually is loves even though it's treated badly. And because he's given them his chesed, he's, it's going to be stronger than the worst that they do. And that's why he brought them back. That's why he brought them back. He never let them go. And the time in captivity was really a purging time. It was really cleansing them and then bringing back with a new start, with a new people. So um, let's look at my last verses today, which are going to be from Micah. And uh, I'm going to just read um, just four verses from Micah. But these are my some of the best ones I'm going to read today. So I really want to end with these. So first of all, we have uh, an introduction. Micah 7, As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. So once again, linking back to the Exodus theme. And then we're going to jump to um, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in chesed. He delights in steadfast love. He delights in chesed. Wow. So this is God. Who is a God who pardons like this? Who is a God who does this? 
It goes on. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And then he, the last verse I'm going to read is this. You will show stead faithfulness to Jacob and chesed to Abraham as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So I'm going to end here. There's a lot more that I want to say about Israel. And of course, I'd like to bring it up to this present time. And I'd like to, to, to bring Jesus in and how, see how Jesus actually fits so amazingly into this picture. Uh, and everything kind of neatly ties up. But I, we're out of time. And I want to make sure that we're not rushed looking at these scriptures because I think they are so precious. And I want us to understand that the God who said this to Israel, even though they treated him so badly, the God who forgave their sins is the same God who forgives our sins. And although God is pure and God is perfect, one of the things he delights in in his is his in his chesed. He delights in that. And I'm just going to go back to a couple of screens to uh, this passage here because he says this, um, uh, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? He says, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Um, I will not execute my burning anger. I'll not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. This is who I am. This is my very nature to be one that, that, that holds on in love, even when I'm treated so badly. I'm the holy one in your midst. I will not come in wrath. And so, um, of course, I don't want to in any way encourage us that we can just sin and, you know, it's okay. God's just going to forgive us every time. Uh, Cause if we have that attitude, then maybe we don't have a new heart. But I want to encourage you that if your heart is for God, but you fail and you fail and you fail him, his love is unbreakable. If he loved Israel after what they did, he's going to love us because of who he is. He says, I am God. This is why I love like this. I am God. So my goal this week is that you take this in. You take in this. And I, just as I've read this, I've got a lot more verses than this. I've had to go through a selection process and to, to get down to these, these last ones I've shown you. But it's just been such a, a powerful exercise for me as I feel I've grown to know God more. I feel I've seen something of his heart. Um, I've seen something of who he is in his, in the depths of who he is as I've seen these verses, and it's so encouraging, it's so strengthening to my assurance and my my confidence in him, and also in my relationship to him, because when I come to him, I can come to him as this God, this God who will never let me go, because he in Jesus Christ has made his promise to me. So my prayer is that all of us can really take to heart these beautiful, amazing words that we have in this passage. Just let me end by reading these ones here. 
Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in chesed. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and chesed to Abraham as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Let's pray, shall we? God, we are overwhelmed to see the depth of your love and your ability to love even those that treat you so badly because you've promised them, because you're faithful, because that is who you are. Lord, I pray that everyone here who knows you as their God will be encouraged by these wonderful verses. And Lord, any who do not know you as their God, who are not following Jesus, will see how what an extraordinary thing it is to have this salvation through Jesus and will trust him for salvation. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.